What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. It's a new era in Falcons football kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports with wacky-ass hijinks and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Oh, Graham, it's going quite wonderful. I have my first day off of work tomorrow in uh, about 10 days, so that's exciting. I just got done watching all these press conferences for all the big news that got done uh, with our Falcons this week, and I'm feeling good about them. And, uh, you know, I got a little bit of PTSD about these sound issues that we continue to have, but, you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that this is the week that it all comes together, not only for the Falcons, but for everyone's friends at Atlanta Zone. You know, maybe the Falcons should take, uh, or maybe we should take a a page from the Falcons book and uh, get two new podcast hosts in here. Hmm. So then would we be the like behind the scenes guys? How, how does that look? Well, or, or are we firing ourselves? I think we'd be firing. Our, we'd be like, uh, you know, if I'm Dan Quinn or Thomas Dimitrov, then you're the other guy. Then you're either Dan Quinn or Thomas Dimitrov. Either way, one of us is Dan Quinn. The other is Thomas Dimitrov. And uh, we would be exiled, excommunicated from Atlanta Zone. And maybe we can get some goddamn mean- quality around here. Do we need to be like patenting like this concept of – an Atlanta sports podcast so we could sell it. No, because there's actually, you just there's actually do more Atlanta sports podcasts than you think. They've kind of sprung up more over the that last di- few years. They discuss all Atlanta sports. There's a couple with the detail that we do. There's a couple that do or try to, um, some are, are good. I think that I've heard, but, um, should we go fight them? Like, I, what, what's this? I think once we fight? get our COVID vaccinations, we should go fight them. I was planning on fighting them in, around March 2020, and we just, you know, of course, the pandemic happened. So I think once we get our vaccines, we, could, we can go kick some ass. We could take that approach, or we could contract COVID and then go find them. Right, take right. them down that way. Yeah, that's that's good. Then then you're really not only going to beat them up, you could potentially kill them. That's that sounds that sounds good. Hell yeah, but I don't think that would be attempted murder. Like no, no, no. It's it's a pandemic. Sure, shit happens. It's bound to happen to to, to to you at some point of uh, getting. Yeah, they, they probably caught it. I don't know on the bus or you know walking across the street. I don't know. Yeah, going to the grocery store. We were just talking Atlanta sports with them. Yeah, wanted to collaborate. I was just yelling in one of their faces for five minutes about how the show sucks. I don't know how he could have caught COVID <laughs> from that. I didn't. I mean, I didn't even have a mask on. You know, they, they say you don't need a mask. I, I don't know. I don't know. We were outside, for it's, Christ's sake. It could have been us. It's complicated times, Graham. That's a, that's an excellent point there. Who, who knows what's right, what's wrong, what's up, what's down? All I know is it sounds like, I mean, I want to stick around and do this podcast, Graham. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to fire ourselves. As a, a wise man once said, you ain't going nowhere. We do the firing around here. Right. Intern Jared. Fired. I don't know if he's hired or fired. I think he's been rehired, fired. but we've we've gone through our fair share of interns over the years, as as uh, long time users know. We're, we're getting lean around here. We don't we don't need an intern anymore, Graham. Mm. I guess we got to give the news to to Jared then that he's fired. <laughs> you know, COVID has caused <laughs> us co- to run out of money again, and uh, yeah. we just can't afford to keep giving him that minimum wage salary. Hmm. Or really, it's just I below minimum wage because he's an intern. So, I mean, he can probably take his talents somewhere else and, and, and find more success. Um, yeah, go, go to those other guys. I, I hear they're really good. Yeah, they're, they're really good and they need interns. Guys. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and he's got experience. He's got a lot so. of experience, off and on for the last four years. Best of luck, intern, Jared. Yep. How we'll miss you. Au revoir. Yep. All right, Adam, it's time to talk about some sweeping historical changes that we've all experienced recently uh, for a great, great nation, and particularly for the state of Georgia, with the Falcons hiring a new head coach and a new GM, pretty much back-to-back. Coach came first, GM came second, and we're talking, of course, about Arthur Smith, the former Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator, being sworn in, taking the sacred oath, putting his hand on Arthur Blank's hand. They, they both grasped hands, and Arthur 
you know, put him through a ritual of, of having to recite various oaths to him. And then Terry Fontenot followed up and did the same with Rich McKay. And now we have instilled uh, our new head coach and new GM. First new GM for the Falcons since 08 when Dimitrov came in. A lot to unpack here, Adam, in terms of the background of these guys. We talked a lot about Terry Fontenot last week. But in our, you know, and that was the guy I think that we both wanted. But, of course, when we were talking about coaches, you know, we mentioned a ton of different guys. But the one guy we didn't mention was the one that got hired, Arthur Smith, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, that, that was a big swing and a miss on our part there. Like, nailed it on Fontenot. We were all over that one. But, uh, yeah, did not even mention the guy's name, you know, just say, oh, Joe Brady, along with, you know, these these other possible names that have been linked to the Falcons. No, we, we didn't even do that. So, I mean, that's on intern Jared, really, which is why he got fired. Right. He should have been prodding us a little bit, say, hey, guys, I think you should at least mention these other guys' names. Right. I mean, what, what's the use so, of an intern uh, if they're not going to at least challenge you somewhat? Ridiculous. But, you know, just like our new coach, Arthur Smith, I believe in accountability, which is why we had to fire intern Jared right. for that massive failure. And it's why we gave ourselves so, massive raises. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, let's – I'm curious because you and I haven't really discussed this too much. So I'm excited about this conversation, Graham. Sure. See what you think about both of these hires after, you know, they're, they're finally official. They did not come in the order that you wanted. Uh, and I'm curious to see if you're still freaking out about the fact that Fontenot didn't even know Arthur Smith, much less being the one to hire him. Yeah. So I, 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 I kind of want to hear, first off, what do you think about the way this search and the eventual hire of both of these guys went down. Well, I think that I don't know if Arthur Blank said this or not. For whatever reason, I remember in his press conference that one of the names that came up when he was talking to Terry Fontenot was Arthur Smith in terms of um, potential head coaching candidates. So I think that was at least discussed. I still would have preferred if... Fontenot would have put Smith through some kind of interview process because it doesn't sound like they did. And that's not to say this can't work, but I still think that you're just going down potentially a dangerous path. You know, these guys seem very compatible. They respect the hell out of each other, obviously. And they both have had a lot of success recently in the respective fields of coordinator and assistant general manager slash pro scout for Fontenot. Um, But I just, I really think it should be on the GM to find his guy and have the time to find his guy. And we'll see whether or not this works out. But even if it does, I think the Falcons still went about it in the wrong way. And yeah, you need to bring in a coach soon because the draft's coming and all this. I understand that. But I don't understand why we couldn't have gotten maybe two or three more weeks of interviews potentially to make sure that we're that that Fontenot is fully comfortable. He's had time to prepare a rigorous four, five, six-hour interview process with Arthur Smith and make sure that we're getting the right battery together for coach and GM. Don't understand why we couldn't do that. Well, I think part of it is Arthur Smith probably would have gone. I mean, that would have kind of showed that we're not sold on him as a franchise. And I do think he was a wanted man by these other franchises. Yeah, apparently the Lions so really some, wanted someone him. Someone might have snagged him. Yeah, Lions really um, wanted him, according to a lot of uh, a lot of the press. So maybe oh, that was TD the was reason. was up there trying to take him? What's that? Dimitrov was well, up there Dimitrov trying to snag Dimitrov isn't the GM, Adam. I don't know where you heard this, but the Lions have a completely what? different GM. Where the hell? I mean, I was speaking that as fact. Yeah, the new general manager is Brad Holmes. So I don't know where you heard about TD being their GM, but yeah, it's uh, not the case. Huh. Uh, yeah, I guess he was rumored. I think he might okay. have had an interview, but I don't think he was. Uh... I was wrong. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate you telling me because in my mind, Thomas Dimitrov was just 
chilling up in uh, Detroit now, happy as could be. <laughs> so that's interesting. But ba- back to the Smith Fontenot thing, you can spin it as a positive for sure, Graham, because you know if Fontenot's doing the hiring, he's likely just going to bring his boy, which would have been Brady. You know, which you know I said I, I would have been happy with Brady, but like the more we think about it, maybe the guy isn't ready. But Fontenot, just because of the familiarity, would have been more likely to just bring someone that has similar experiences as him versus Arthur Smith. Seems like they have the same values and, like, they're going to gel. But, you know, they both work for two different successful organizations um, and they can kind of, you know, use the knowledge that they got from – the Titans and the Saints and bring that together and they might see things a little bit differently. And I think it could be a good thing. And I also found it interesting that in both of their press conferences, when they were asked like, why the Falcons, why'd you end up choosing the Falcons? They both agreed that Arthur blank and Rich McKay were positives for them having those. I mean, uh, an owner who wants to win, and a guy with 25 years of experience as a GM, as a, like entrenched at the top of the organization as well. So I thought it was interesting, something that we were kind of looking at as a negative, they both said was a selling point for them. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's actually one of the things also that, that going a little deeper into Fontenot, at least, was, you know, he was saying Mickey Loomis told, I think told him that, he would probably be next in line when Loomis retired to be the GM. And he said that Arthur Blank was a critical part of making him question what life could be outside the Saints organization. So I guess, you know, Arthur's still a very well-respected and liked owner in the NFL. As much shit as I like to give him, because I think he's, I'm not going to go into the whole litany of reasons why I've lost faith in him as an owner. He's still highly respected around the league. So that has, that counts for something. It's better than being the Jets owner or someone like that. I don't even know the Jets owner's name, but they're, you know, they've been such a clown show of an organization for the last 15 years for the most part. Um, that they haven't, that's one reason why they haven't gotten a good head coach in a while or a general manager or made good moves. So, for as much shit as we give the Falcons and how mediocre our franchise can be and currently is, the very least, we've had some success and we have to be able to attribute some of that to Arthur in terms of he has. He hasn't completely misfired everything. It's still, it's still on thin ice for me. Um, but you know, hopefully, I'm I'm sure that that really affects him. Oh yeah, that I'm sure it really he's does. On thin too. ice with Graham Walton. right? Who really gives a shit about that? But I'm just saying for me as a fan. But I do acknowledge what I'm trying to acknowledge here is that the the role Arthur plays in getting someone like a Fontenot, who's wide, widely respected in the league, uh, you know, can't take that away from him. So. Good job. Yeah, Arthur. Let's dive into Fontenot a little bit in the, the press conference. A couple of things that I took from it was a, I mean, just to start off, he was an extremely likable guy, Fontenot. Like he, he was very different than Dimitrov. Dimitrov is a lot, he was always a lot more business like, kind of came off as the sense like he's like the big sabermetrics guy, he knows everything. Uh, he was never really like the jokey guy in press conferences or anything of that. Fontenot was kind of the complete opposite. He was, he was very humble. At one point he like teared up just when he started talking about like the process and how he got to this position and talking about Saints GM, Mickey Loomis and just the role model that he was. To the point where Loomis admitted to Arthur Blank that they were they were grooming Fontenot to be the next GM of the Saints, and like if Loomis had retired this year, that would have been Fontenot's job, which is great. I mean, that's good news for us on multiple fronts. But uh, you know, I, I really like Fontenot. He joked about D Led. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, joked about D Led bringing his kids on. Like super likable guy, and. One of the things in this press conference before when Arthur Blank was introducing him that I really liked hearing, and it's kind of maybe a sign of Arthur Blank changing a little bit, is 
he was talking about how outsiders just because they asked each 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 candidate coaching a GM candidate like where do you see our team like what do you see our strengths our weaknesses and all of that and he said from an outsider's perspective they saw a lot of the same things that you know the Falcons internally had already seen but it also brought to light a lot of changes that the Falcons need to make that they just had not seen at all and Arthur even mentioned kind of falling in love with your own family that whole deal that we've all been kind of yelling at Arthur about for the last two years so the fact that he's recognizing that and we're bringing in Fontenot who I mean he knows us so well from being in the same division it's I'm a very positive thing for me that I'm excited about it like after after I came away from watching that just couldn't think of a bad thing to say about the guy um just seems like a phenomenal hire Graham yeah I mean it was it was one of the more it was one of the best press conferences you'll probably ever see of a, <clears throat> almost anybody getting introduced checked all the right boxes has a ton of charisma very sharp I think one of the things when you really dig deeper into uh where, where the Saints are right now at least in terms of trying to think of how his talent will translate over to the Falcons is Fontenot has had a bigger hand in getting free agents to New Orleans. He's He was the head of pro scouting, along with being the assistant general manager, but his main focus was finding players in the NFL to bring to the Saints. So thinking about, you know, for the Saints at least, getting guys like Jared Cook and um, Ted Ginn. And just over the years, he's a, they accumulated a lot of good talent. Um, to fill holes that I think has translated to a lot of success for them. So that is something that the Falcons are terrible at historically. Think about, you know, Paul Solii, Tyson Jackson, uh, those big defensive linemen we got, I think, in the 2014 season that were just awful, who just ate up so much of the cap and killed us. Think about those other two offensive linemen, who I can't even remember the names of because they were so bad that we got... (laughs) Over the last couple of years, you you remember their names, Adam? Uh, James Carpenter. Yes, Carpenter, and uh, I can't remember the other guy, but that was another swing and a miss by Dimitrov and his personnel in terms of trying to shore up holes on our roster and doing a terrible job and overpaying for guys that shouldn't be getting paid that that much. So that's one thing I really hope continues to translate, at least from Fontenot's success and track record, is being a great evaluator of talent in the NFL. Now finding players that can come in and contribute and not be dead weight, not only on the team, but on the salary cap. And the Saints have also, you know, they've had their down years. So like there's, while Fontenot was there, they've done a number of rebuilds to where they've been successful. And then they had those seven and nines and the retooling to get back to where they've been the last four years. So, I mean, you can kind of, I mean, we're obviously in that seven to nine phase right now. So, you're, I mean, you're right, though. If you if you hit on some of those veteran free agent signings that seem a little smaller that Dimitrov constantly failed on, you know, it could be a quick turnaround. Who knows? But it, it and it also seems like he's got his uh, ear to the ground. Is that a phrase? Yep, that is a phrase. That's a phrase. Ear to the ground on the, the college scene as well. And, um you know, just hearing hearing the respect from Mickey Loomis on it, it, you know, Arthur Blank felt great about it afterwards, and you know, Arthur made me feel good about it. So, um, like anything, it's a press conference. Can't get too high or too low based off a press conference, but it seems to be what you want out of a GM. Yeah, here's a question for you, Adam. In terms of, and now let's, let's preface this with Fontenot didn't have total command over how the salary cap was spent. Obviously, that's Loomis's ultimate decision, even though Fontenot did say he he did have a hand in it, right? The Saints have one of the worst salary cap situations in the NFL going into this offseason, $93 million over the cap. Does something like that concern you at all as a fan? Because we we already have a bad salary cap situation in Rome with $23 million, but with the Saints, it's like like a clusterfuck. Right. Not not really, because, I mean, they had a different situation. They were, I mean, 
They knew they had a couple of years left to Drew Brees. They were going all in for a Super Bowl. Yeah. Unfortunate I, for them. It didn't work out. But, I mean, they had awesome teams in place that probably should have won one or two Super Bowls, but they just didn't for various reasons. But, you know, I mean, he did mention, like, balancing the the short term with the long term. So I, it's not a big concern for me. He, he, under, he understands – salary cap issues that we currently have and you know i'm sure that's going to be part of the retooling he's doing early on is to clear us up for the future a little bit yeah and i and i agree with that there are there are some fans that are freaking out about that but i, I agree i'm not really as concerned and Fontenot has gone on the record saying and i quote we're not going to make decisions that help us in 2021 but hers in 22 and 23 we're going to think big picture and do the right things because the goal here is to build the team the right way and have sustained success so I think that's exactly the right attitude to take. This team is also in a completely, like you mentioned, a completely different phase than the Saints were because we suck and they're good. So, yeah, it made total sense for them to want to try and just go nuts and try to win the Super Bowl, do everything they could from a front office standpoint to try and win the Super Bowl. And, you know, for, for now, for us, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a couple of years probably to get where we want to go. And shrewd moves will have to be made with expensive talent, like your Dante Fowler, Fowler Jr.'s, potentially Keanu Neal, Deion Jones. Not Deion Jones, sorry, he's extended. But, you know, that, you know he's going to have a lot of tough um, decisions to make while also trying to balance out who are the right pieces to bring in here. And I am very interested to see how he's going to draft. Because the Saints have had a lot of good drafts, especially during their four, four or five-year run where they've been perennial Super Bowl contenders. So I'm really looking to see how he's going to shore up the trenches, and I hope that is a big goal. And Fontenot also said with the draft, his philosophy is, a la Ozzie Newsom, best player available, position doesn't matter. So, I, you know, it'll be one of those things where it's like, how does that trans... So what does that mean? You know, if, if, if he thinks the best player available is Justin Fields when you got Matt Ryan there, is he going to take him? Or... Who you know, someone where or, or a wide receiver potentially, you know. So, yeah, it, it's I mean, fascinating I, to I think like, about what he's going to do. Who knows? I, I like the best player available mentality. Yeah, like like we said, everyone's someone on Twitter said everyone's going to freak. Like everyone likes that. All the Falcons fans do until they draft that wide receiver out of Alabama at four overall. Right. By the same time, uh, that guy's a fucking beast. I interpreted that as more of if Micah Parsons is there, not Mika Graham, like you like Sorry. to say. It's Micah, like like everyone else pronounces that name. There are Mikas. Um, there are Mikas and Micahs. I didn't know how it was pronounced. I'm terrible at name pronunciation. You, you've seen a Mika spelled M-I-C-A-H? Yeah, I know a guy who spells me, who's named Mika who spells his name like that. Well, he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You're a racist then. Oh Jesus! I don't. I, I didn't know what race the guy. He's a was. white guy. I'm just messing with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. So I interpreted that as like I get the sense more. I, I don't see the quarterback in the first round, but who the hell knows? Right. The, these guys, both Arthur Smith and Fontenot, they were tried. The media tried to bait them a couple times to talk about personnel and wisely they didn't go into that at all I mean, mainly because they've been hired for like four days and they don't know what they're going to do yet they have to you know Fontenot mentioned just a fresh start as soon as he I mean they, they don't even have a full coaching staff yet so I mean that's the first thing you're doing uh offensive and defensive coordinator but, uh, you know, he said they're going to have meetings to go over each player and what their skills are where they are in their career and their fit going forward Cool. Yeah, and they also said that there's not going to be really anyone who's safe in the sense of, you know, one thing both of them were, I know we're focusing on Fontenot, but they kind of had a lot of things to say that overlapped, was that, you know, no one is safe. No one's going to be treated any differently than anyone else. The locker room is going to be held accountable for what happens on the field. And it's important and the same thing is going to go with the coaching staff and the front office personnel in the sense that it sounds like it's going to be a very collaborative environment, an environment where 
the front office and the, and the coaching staff are going to push each other, and they're not gonna, just going to sit there and go, oh, well, it's just, you know, we don't know why we suck, but we're just going to try and correct it, and we'll get better. It sounds like this was like the antithesis of a Mike Smith or Dan Quinn or Thomas Dimitrov press conference. It was like, we're going to be accountable. No one is sacred. No one is safe. We're going to make the right decisions for the team. And if something doesn't work, we're going to adapt. Adaption is the thing that's been missing from this Falcons franchise for its entirety. But that's the thing, Adam, is that the Falcons don't make adjustments in the second half. And if this coaching staff can do that, it would just bring a tear to my eye. Because both Dan Quinn and Mike Smith, it was like, here's our game plan. It doesn't change, regardless of what's going on. And it always bit us in the ass. If we can have a coaching staff that can actually make adjustments, I will cry. Yeah, and so did we even mention Arthur Smith? We haven't mentioned him was in the, depth yet, so we should probably do that. Okay, yeah, let's talk about Arthur Smith because in case we didn't mention it, he was the offensive coordinator for the Titans, the guy we didn't talk about at all last week. And I'll be honest, when I heard this hire, my first thought was kind of meh, but that was based on ignorance and only knowing that his name was very bland and reminded me of Mike Smith way too much. And I just watched the Titans against the Ravens and their offense looked like shit. So that was what I was basing about it. But then I, you know, I looked into a little more, I watched the press conference and, you know, Smith led all offensive coordinators over the last two seasons and offensive touchdowns with 120. And the Titans were the first team ever with a 2,000-yard rusher and 3,500-yard passer in the same season in NFL history. So he's basically been Mike Shanahan when Mike Shanahan was our offensive coordinator. So right. I don't know why he was under the radar for me. He was obviously under the radar for you as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't – But it's just I don't watch a lot of Titans – games you know and you obviously hear about how good derrick henry is and how Tannehill has had a resurgence but you hadn't really looked at you know i hadn't really looked at the stats but yeah i think they're second in the league in red zone efficiency um as well which is such a huge thing since we're so bad in the red zone and have been for a while it's like every single thing you look at with arthur smith it just feels like you know he fits exactly the the profile we wanted young offensive mind the guy's 38 he has had a lot of experience, and he has built a great offense in Tennessee. That didn't happen overnight. He, he revitalized Tannehill's career and helped turn Derrick Henry into a beast. And just because had, they had one bad game against the Ravens, you can't overlook the success they've had as an organization over the last couple of years in particular. I mean, last year they got to the AFC Championship game. And this year, even though they didn't go as far in the playoffs, they had a better offense overall during the regular season. And, and you can say all you want about how Ryan Tannehill is better than Matt Ryan, I bet, but historically he's not. And, you know, if you can get, if you can take, and I know we've been shitting on Matt recently, but who's to say that this guy can't come in here and get Matt Ryan back to throwing, you know, 36 touchdowns and only seven picks a year with over like, you know, 5,000 yards passing. I don't know. Maybe that's, that goal is too high. Um, but, it gives you a lot of confidence when you look at what he's done in Tennessee and what he can bring here. Now, one of the big differences, obviously, is they have a much better offensive line than we do, and they have a beast of a running back, which we do not have. So those are things that will have to be addressed personnel-wise, either in free agency or in the draft. But And, and that's that's the adaptability thing that you were mentioning. He Arthur Smith much have, must have said adaptability at least – Eight times. Oh, yeah. In and every time conference. he said it, I like, you know, I, I, I just sent warm feelings into my body. Yeah, because he was saying, yeah, he's like, yeah, of course we ran the ball all the time. We had Derrick Henry. It's like if you have Shaq, you feed the big guy the ball. But, you know, you you work around the personnel that you have. Adapt to the personnel that you have. So he's going to do the same thing with the Falcons. Um, and I think the other thing I like about Arthur Smith hire a lot is he used to be an offense. Well, not only did he used to be an offensive line coach, he used to play offensive line back in 
college. I think was it UNC, maybe. Yeah, he went to was, Carolina. Yeah, yeah. So one of his first questions, I thought this was really interesting. Someone mentioned like Matt Ryan and who he hadn't mentioned any players yet, Arthur Smith. And someone said something about Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and working around them. And he's like, he's like, well, it's not just them. It's also, you know, we have a lot of great players like Chris Lindstrom and Grady Jarrett. That Chris Lindstrom was the first name out of his mouth. Like that was pretty incredible to me, like that he's mentioning an offensive lineman that a lot of people don't talk about a lot. That that means he knows like that's going to be something he's pushing from the get go. Yeah. To, to make a strength and that he recognizes the talent in Lindstrom before, like he's saying him before Grady Jarrett, that I thought that was pretty cool. And, um, you know, he's not the Dan Quinn rah, rah guy. He, he mentioned that as well, how he's, he's going to be himself. He's going to be within his personality. He's like, I'm not Mike v- Vrabel. I'm not going to be like screaming in guys faces. Like he's, he's going to be himself. He's going to be different. And he, he just seemed a lot more, I guess just, football guy you know <laughs> like yeah i don't dan think quinn we're gonna too, be seeing dan quinn was a little too out there with the phrases and all that arthur smith was like just business-like um you know adapt to your personnel uh, that's that's what i liked hearing yeah and i think you know we're not going to see arthur smith bringing in a lot of uh t-shirts and bringing in probably like navy seals to talk about courage and stuff like that even though you know that's cool and all i think he's very much just focused on what is going on in the field? No gimmicks, no bullshit. What are, what are the results? What are the results? Accountability. What are the results? And if we're not gaining them, what the hell do we have to do to actually make a change? Not just sit and wallow and cry on our beer and say, well, it's just unacceptable. And then nothing changes. You know? Yeah. And like an- another thing is he's going to be, he is going to be calling the plays. And it was addressed is like, the fact that, you know, sometimes like Dan Quinn calling the plays was a massive failure. It's, it's, it's been an issue in the past. And he states he understands his number one job is to coach all three phases of the football team. And he's confident that he's going to be able to both call plays and be a head coach. So, you know, I understand why he got this job. He, he sells himself really damn well. But like Fontenot, he's humble as well. And he's all about collaboration between coaches. He, he said – he doesn't want groupthink. He doesn't want to have a yes man on the sidelines. You know, he mentioned diversity of thought. The coach is challenging each other. He wants someone on the sidelines that if he's about to, you know, go for it on fourth and three, they'll be like, what the hell are you doing? He wants that. So he recognizes he's, look, he's 38. He, he needs some experienced guys on his staff. He, he doesn't know it all, but. He wants to learn and improve each year, just like he expects his players to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I feel pretty good about it, Graham. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens on the field, but I don't think they like it's a massive reach or anything. No, 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 not at all. I mean, I think I kind of like this hire a little more than Joe Brady, just because he's had a lot of experience at the NFL level and has had success and has, and, you know, and produced a great offense last year. And that's not to say that Brady won't get his time, but I'd rather go with, even though both these guys don't have experience, you know, Smith has never been a head coach. Fontenot has never been a full-time, you know, the overall GM. They have both so much experience and success at this level that it makes sense. And I think it's totally great trying to just reboot this thing and say, first-time coach, first-time GM, who both had a ton of success in their respective fields. Let's do it, man. I'm so glad we didn't hire Rick Smith as the GM or go out and get, you know, dig up the corpse of Dick Vermeil or something to be our coach. You know, like shit like that. Now, I'm not saying you can't get some senior officials or senior coaching staff uh, members in there either. Like I know Dean Pease, the old Patriots and Ravens defensive coordinators being floated out there. Wade Phillips, you know, you want to do something like that, that's fine. But in terms of leadership at the for top, de- for like defensive coordinator, yeah, yeah. In terms of leadership at the top, I'm really glad it's two young guys who have had a lot of success who have been brought here to try and lead the Falcons to the promised land. I think the strategy there is good, and both these guys' credentials check out. Granted, in the 
that's all Arthur Blank has done is hire guys with zero head coaching experience and it hasn't worked out but you know hopefully this one will Graham that's true that's true and this guy is just a much different vibe to me particularly more so than Dan Quinn um and that's a good point I guess but you know yeah evaluate everyone on their own individual merits and we'll do that as time goes along uh is there anything that concerns you about Smith. I know I asked you about Fontenot in terms of that GM hellhole, or not GM, sorry, salary cap hellhole that uh, the Saints are in. Is there anything Arthur Smith's past work that concerns you at all? Not in his past work. Um, I can't remember who was mentioning this. Might have been the Falcoholic. How, no, that was Arthur Blank, actually. How he survived in Tennessee, like, three different head coaches and each new coach that came in, not only kept him, but promoted him. So, you know, his grind is obviously there. Uh, I mean, yeah, nothing in his history. It's just the unknown of a first time head coach. And is he going to be able to put it all together and lead a team along with the offense? So, and I mean, and it, whether or not these two are going to be able to work together, that's, that's the other big question. Right. I know, I know I said earlier that you can look at it as a positive that they're coming from different places and experiences, but let's hope they like each other, get along, can make decisions together and not have a lot of animosity or anything crazy like that. Sure. But, um, yeah, he said all the right things about building an, a team identity and an environment one day at a time, starting with the first team meeting. So I think seem, he seems qualified, Graham. Yeah. And here's just a couple of uh, stats for Tennessee. Third in yards per game and total yards in offense. Uh, rushing was number two overall. And points per game, which I always consider to be a pretty great stat, number four overall with 30.7 points per game. So I think those are encouraging numbers. And um, I really want to see if he's going to try and do the Derrick Henry thing again in the sense of finding a beast running back and trying to run a similar style of offense. Because I think it would be fascinating. I think one of the reasons, too, that our offense has just been hurt so much is just we just haven't had a running game in years. I really want to see how he's going to provide some sort of evolution for that because, God, it's been terrible. And I think one of the great things, one of the great headlines I, I, I've seen today is he's getting rid of the offensive line coach and Dirk Cutter. Praise God. <laughs> how is Dirk Cutter not already fired? I don't know, but he's officially gone now. Hooray. <laughs> I'm guessing he already had his office packed up. I'm I'm sure. I think the writing was on on the wall, for sure. Um, and hopefully, we never see Dirk Cutter again as a Falcons coach. Uh, your boy Greg Knapp is also not retained, Adam. That's a shame. So I, you know what, I think in terms of a new regime coming in, totally expected that a lot of guys, unfortunately, are going to lose their jobs. But and we shouldn't take any solace people losing their jobs, but. Dirk Cutter's one, I kind of, kind of have to, and I'm sure he'll land on his feet somewhere. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Dirk Cutter's going to go have to go on welfare or anything like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, he he's fine. Totally, he, he could re- retire uh, happily to Key West or something. Sure. Like that. Uh, but doesn't it feel nice to have a fresh start? And you know, uh, uh, this is how I mean we're a loser franchise at this point, like a losing team. Like this is how the Browns feel when they hire a new coach or like draft a quarterback at first overall. And, you know, just the possibility is there, you know, week, week four, we will probably be 0 and four and be screaming again. But on January 20th, it feels good. It feels like two good hires. It's the happiest I've felt about the Falcons franchise in a while. It was the, it's the reboot, at least from a coaching position and GM position that we've needed for a long time. For at least three years. 
So And Matt Ryan's got to be ecstatic, too, because I, I feel like everything that both of those guys have said hints at Matt Ryan being back and, you know, like you said, reviving his career. I mean, it, Smith runs a similar offense to what Shanahan ran, and he obviously knows how to call a game unlike Cutter. So Matt Ryan's 36. He can still do it for a few more years. Yeah, I mean, let's let's see what happens. I still think perhaps the best of Matt might be behind us, but, you know, let's see what happens. He can be Ryan Tannehill. I'm just saying, if you get a, if you get a good, effective running game in here, then that can change the offense entirely. Then not as much pressure yeah. on – there doesn't have to be as much pressure on Matt. I think the last three years he's attempted the most passes in the league, and that's because we're always down for the most part. But yeah. – um, you know, we it's kind of like, Adam, when you're born, you're this helpless little baby. And when you're old, you're kind of a helpless little baby. Matt's kind of getting back to, it's almost like we're seeing a full circle effect with him in terms of maybe we ha- we're not going to have, we're not going to get to like 2008 level Matt Ryan where, you know, Michael Turner runs the ball for like 25 times a game. But I think we're, hopefully going to trend towards more more of running the football with hopefully a really good running back that can um, take the pressure off of Matt and allow him to sort of fulfill that potentially a better version of that 2008 role where the running game does the bulk of the work that sets up Matt to be effective, more effective in play action, throw the ball down the field more, and hopefully we'll have a better offensive line that can facilitate all of that. So... Yeah, just be careful, assuming that it's going to look like the Tennessee's offense. I mean, that's what he kept saying. If we have those players, right. that's what the offense will look like. If not, you know, it'll be different. Have to adjust, yeah. And I think that's good, too. Like, I don't think we should be trying to get guys to come in here and run their version of the Shanahan offense, which clearly, I think, by the end of Dirk Cutter's run, it was just Dirk Cutter just calling his bullshit. Um, you know, it was like, I don't see any of the movement. I don't see any of the bootlegs, you know, or the creativity of the Shanahan offense at all. I just see classic dirt cutter, cut and dry, basic bitch offense. So I hope we can just forget about that Shanahan stuff. Stop trying to chase it. And I feel like that's what the organization tried to do for so long ever since, you know, since that Super Bowl run is try to chase it. It's like a drug addict. Uh, you know, you want to chase after that feeling. And you never, it's never like the first time. And that's how it was with this, this organization. Wanted to chase the Shanahan drug that got us, you know, really close to winning a Super Bowl. And it, it never came to pass because you can't replicate that. So that philosophy will stop. I think that's also a big thing that's not really being talked about as much. Just, I think it's just because it's assumed Arthur Smith's going to do his offense. But, you know, I'm really happy we're not chasing that anymore. Here's the big question, Graham. Is this the end of Rise Up? No, Rise Up started with the Mike Smith era, so I think it'll continue. Rise Up's been around for we're a gonna while. Con- we're going to continue to Rise Up? I think so. I think Rise Up's think like, new, you know, it's synonymous with the Falcons brand as, you know, the terrible towel is for the Steelers or something like that, even though it's two different things. It's like, it's like who dat? Yeah, it's like who dat for the Saints. We are a Rise Up. I don't think yeah. that's going away. Just fewer gimmicks. Yeah. Bro- brotherhood You don't need dead. this brothership bullshit. How about just show up for your job and, and do what you need to do? And that is actually... Accountability, Graham. Yeah. And that is something I actually did really like about Mike Smith's teams was whenever there was a penalty, Mike Smith would go over the penalties after each game, I think on Monday or Tuesday, and he'd call out the person who made the penalty. He said, this guy made the penalty at the, uh, you know, in the third quarter. And it's cost us 10 yards. He did that in front of everybody. Now, you can say that's emasculating and humiliating, but it sure as hell makes you not want to have to face your teammates and say, you know, and have the coach say, you fucked up. So I'm not saying that that's what Arthur Smith's going to do, but hopefully there's some form. Hopefully the accountability thing isn't a platitude and he actually will, you know, enforce that because we kept seeing the same shit over and over again with Falcons and there was no accountability. So this, this, is, this, this is what needs to happen. Someone with this mindset. Kind of sucks that. It's eight months until football. I'm, I'm ready for football. I'm ready for this season to end, obviously. But uh, 
I'm ready for Falcons football again, Graham. Me too. I haven't been this excited about it since probably the uh, the year after the Super Bowl. 2017? Yeah. 18 season? Yeah. That was the last time I... Should we uh, pause and make sure our shit's been recording this whole time? Yeah, that sounds like a plan. (laughs) All right. We'll, We'll be right back. All right, and we're back to talk about the Atlanta Hawks, who continue to scuffle a little bit, Adam. And since you're the de facto Hawks expert around here, I'll let you take the reins for this segment. Yeah, so since we last talked, we did our little West Coast swing. I think we had a game that was canceled due to COVID for the first time in uh, Phoenix, and then we just got destroyed by Utah. I I think that was the game that Trey Young was like one of 11 or some shit like that. Yeah, that was a really ugly-ass game. Uh, the the only noteworthy news from that game was our number one pick this year, Onyeko Kongwu, made his NBA debut. So he's clearly getting his legs under him. But he, he looks like he's going to be a physical force, defensively at least, and certainly better than Bruno Fernando. So that's something to see how he continued to, continues to develop right now I'm looking at uh, he, he's played six minutes in the second quarter of this game against the Pistons so Lloyd Pierce is starting to trust him a little bit so from then we played Portland a game that we should have won got away from us and then on MLK day who did we play that game grandma the Timberwolves the Grizzlies the Grizzlies the Grizzlies? You sure? Oh, not the Grizzlies. Sorry, you're right. The Timberwolves. The Timberwolves. I got my uh, my animals confused. Yeah, and it, it was a sloppy game. We have another injury now where Reddish has been out for the last few games, and we won, but it was like twenty something turnovers on our end. And this team's just a bit of a mess right now, Graham. I, I still don't know what to think about them beyond the fact of hopefully once we get some healthy bodies back. We'll start to gel, but um, well, I'm wondering, I'm wondering what's going on with Lloyd Pierce to a degree. Feels like, you know, he's not challenging Trey as much. I've listened to most of the the Trailblazers game, and it, it, I just kept hearing Steve Holman saying that we have no idea what we're doing on offense. Like it just felt like there are no plays being dialed up. You know, the ball movement wasn't great, even though Trey still got 11 assists. And that Trey, once again, was taking really, poor, you know, had poor shot selection, shot 7 of 23, only 1 for 9 from three-point range. And it just seems like the the same things we're complaining about in terms of either Trey's play or just cohesion. And the thing that John Collins called out in terms of uh, – Trey not, you know, taking good shots really reared its ugly head on this one when at the end of the game, I think we were down by two with 25 seconds left or something like that. We got a rebound. Trey goes up the court. There are two Blazers in front of him. And instead of waiting for his teammate and waiting for the last shot or maybe calling a timeout and drawing up a final play, he jacks up an ill-advised three-pointer that misses with no one on the Hawks that was under the the basket at the time to try and get an offensive rebound. Yeah, and that's just that's just a stupid move. And I think that, that I mean you got to blame Trey for that. But where the hell is Lloyd Pierce to go out there and say, "Hey, man, this is not you know why why do we continue to see shit like that?" And Trey, for as good of a, a decent of a shooter that he is, he ain't no Steph Curry. This is a guy who shoots in you know the mid thirties in terms of. Uh, I'm talking about percentile-wise in terms of three-point percentage. He ain't shooting over 40%. That's not the kind of shot you take when that's what your 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 mark is. And he's also in a huge shooting slump. Yeah, it, it's crazy. It, his last 10 games, he's shooting 22% from three, 34% yeah, that's overall. that's just not the shot you take. That's not the shot you take in that scenario under really any circumstance, but especially when you're, you're playing like dog shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I know... Yeah. I believe in Trey Young for sure, but 
Of course, I do too. Every year it's kind of taken him, like he, he came out of the gate super hot this year, but that's a little bit unlike him. It, it seems like it takes him a little bit to get his shooting touch going, and like he doesn't have that runner going like he normally does still. He's just been, except for a couple games, pretty terrible from three, so he, he needs to play to his other strengths, which is his passing game, and let his teammates do more. Like You'll see it sometimes where the ball movement's just incredible and they find the open guy and they get it done. But yeah, I mean, this team is going to win with Trey Young on the top of his game and it's going to be a 500 team otherwise. I mean, John Collins has been great. Uh, he's, he's, he's trying to get that contract for sure. Um, DeAndre Hunter continues to get better each game. It seems like, I mean, he's a legit scoring option now. But uh, Clint Capella really busted out. Yes, in that great point. Portland yeah. game, twenty-five and fifteen. He, he's becoming efficient with his scoring, which early on he was just kind of there for the defense. But he's getting his legs under him as well. But but you're right. I don't know if Lloyd Pierce is, you know, hesitant to really get after Trey. Maybe that's just Lloyd Pierce that he, he does that behind the scenes. But. Um, Sometimes they honestly do look more efficient with the second unit in and Brandon Goodwin running the offense because he's not a shoot first guy at all. He's just trying to find the open man and the offense seems a little yeah, smoother it, sometimes that way. So I can be sympathetic to taking, you know, sometimes taking a few shots early on the shot clock. But when you have a guy as dynamic as Trey, he shouldn't be taking 23 Shots in a game, I don't think. And the next closest guy in that Portland game that took a shot, or took, uh, sorry, the, the in the Portland game, the next closest guy was Capella with 16 field goal attempts. I mean, no, there's only two other guys that were in double digits in terms of field goal attempts, and John Collins and Kevin Herter. And he's taking shots away from the rest of his team. And he's missing a lot of them. I mean, he, he's. I mean, even though he had 26 points and 11 assists, and you can say a double double and seven boards, it was like that was that was a bad, that was a bad game. It was a bad game in terms of getting the guys involved. And I mean, a lot of it might be him trying to put too much on his shoulders right now with the veterans out, and, and that's. And I would think that's Lloyd Pierce's fault. I'm um, Lloyd Pierce is starting to slip for me. This was the year where we really need to see his coaching skills in order to be able to bring this team together more. And I know we've suffered some injuries that have been big. A lot of these signings that we've had, and there have been times we look great. And it's not to say that you know cast aside Lloyd Pierce fire him now or anything like that. But these are the times, these are the moments when you find out what a coach is made of in terms of can he adjust? Can like Arthur Smith was saying, how do we adapt? We don't have Gallinari, we don't have Bogdan, you know, and Trey is in a funk. How can we? And I, you know, what can we do to maximize what we have on the floor and adjust our strategy? And I'm not seeing anything to to make me believe and his ability to adapt to what's going on right now. Yeah, and we, we've had this conversation in the past. Is Lloyd Pierce the guy to just get you through a rebuild and develop some players, or is he the coach that can take a bunch of veterans and meld them into a cohesive unit? We don't know. Um, but, you know, at this point we're, what, 13 games into the season – I think we're the eight seed right now. That's kind of what we expect. It, it was just tough after that hot start. But, yeah, I mean, in the next couple months, I, th I think we'll have an answer to that question of is Lloyd Pierce the guy? Because regardless of the injuries, you, you still have enough talent and depth on this roster that you should at least – I mean, you should be competitive, but – like like you're saying, if 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 the offense if they're not running an offense and Trey Young's just jacking things up, Lloyd Pierce isn't getting through. His system's not being implemented. That's a problem. I don't. Yeah, and I don't know if that's a Trey Young problem a or a Lloyd Pierce problem, yeah. but it's a problem. Well, I think it's a Lloyd Pierce problem more so because Lloyd needs to be able to say, "I am the coach. You got to do. You know, at the end of the day, you got to run what we're trying to run here, and you can't just be jacking up threes. And he's not challenging Trey. You talk about development. That's bad development, and it's showing. Even though Trey's game has gotten better, and maybe and you know maybe we contribute a lot of that to Lloyd Pierce and his coaching staff. But in terms of the mental aspect of the game, that is necessary to be a leader. I don't see that being imbued on Trey Young right now, and it's very concerning to me. 
that even though I know Trey's Trey is very young, haha, no pun intended. If this continues, that'll be this will be a problem, I think, for whoever does come in here and coach next, if Lloyd isn't the guy. Because that's gonna be gonna take a complete reboot in terms of the way Trey um runs the offense. And I'm not saying he has to be always in pass first mode, but it seems like he's you know, once again, 80% shoot mode, 20% pass mode right now. That's how, that's how it feels to me. And those are arbitrary stats. Or arbit- those are arbitrary numbers. It doesn't really mean anything, but it just seems like he wants to shoot a hell of a lot more than he wants to pass. And he has capable guys. You know, you got John Collins, Hunter, Capella. Those are three guys already that you can share the ball with for the majority of the game that, you know, you can create some really good, you know, offensive sets with. So... I'm, I'm, you know, if this continues for another week or two, I'm, I'm, I might have to hop off the Lloyd Pierce train. Uh oh. So you're not giving it a month or two. You're, you're a week or two guy. I need to see some incremental improvement in, in Trey's development. And this is not a situation either where, you know, LeBron pretty much coaches the Lakers and stuff like that or the Cavs, you know, because LeBron was that good. You could do, you could say, LeBron, can you can go do whatever the hell you want because he's that good. He's a four time champion. He knows how to win, even though he's lost like eight finals or whatever. Uh, you know, Trey Young is also like 24, 25 years old. He can't just go running out there, running things like that and not give a shit about the game plan. If there is a game plan at all, I don't know if there is. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that, I mean, that that's a reach to say there's not a game plan and Trey doesn't give a shit. It's well, I'm not saying he doesn't give a shit. It just seems like there is no game plan. It just seems like it's the Trey Young show. Trey, go do whatever you want. And that's not good. You can do that with LeBron. You can't do that with Trey Young. Tell you what, before you write off Lloyd Pierce and say there's no game plan and it's the Trey Young show, I'll have you over. You'll watch a Hawks game. You got to you got to see what it looks like before you uh, completely. I'm I'm I'm, lis- I'm listening to the games and I'm I'm hearing what Steve Holman's telling me. I think is as reliable source as anybody because he's he is watching the games and he's been watching basketball for damn you know forty years. That's a good point. Or calling basketball for forty years. Um, they've had Vince Carter on with uh, Bob and Dominique a couple times. Pretty mm. fantastic. I, yeah, he's a great commentator. Oh, he's so good. I think he, he just brings so much out of Dominique too having another player there uh, yeah the hawks got some gems for announcers I'll say that much oh for sure but uh yeah like even though i think dominique's not the best uh broadcaster he's entertaining as hell right but uh yeah we'll, we'll continue to keep our eyes on these hawks graham i still don't have a definitive opinion on are we good or not yeah. Leaning towards no. And like we've said, it's it's tough with the injuries and all that. And we suck again. And because it's like, you know, it's it's just one of those things where it's like those first five games, they looked, you know, unstoppable. And then just the resiliency factor hasn't been there. And then Trey's just gone into the shell ever since, like, Steve Nash called him out for this, these little stunt moves he's doing to get to the free throw line. His free throw attempts actually plummeted for a few games when that was going on. Yeah. After that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on in Trey Young's mind right now. Promising that Capella's getting heating up so much. Oh, yeah. He's very he's a very capable player. Um, I don't expect him to score 25 points every night. He's more of like a 13 and 13, 15 and 15 kind of guy. But the ability to have a guy like that who's a true stopper in the middle of the floor is something we haven't had. God, since what? Matumbo, maybe? Am I reaching there? I mean, he's more of an intimidating presence than Al Horford. Oh, like Theo Ratliff. Also, a better presence than Ratliff. Sure, sure. In terms of being a true five who can dominate the paint. Yeah. Four blocks in that Portland game, and he was all over the place. I mean, he was he was the player of the game in that game, in my mind, for the Hawks at least. Yeah. Currently in this game, it's the second quarter, and he's got twelve and fourteen with three blocks. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Well, you got anything else, Graham? I do not. I think that'll wrap up today's show. Uh, big show, Adam. I think there's a lot of things to look forward to for the Falcons. And I, and I, don't, I don't want to 
you know, once again, say I'm not giving up on the Hawks or anything. I'm just I'm getting frustrated a little bit as a fan is all. And I got to start seeing some improvement. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable the, the way they got their asses handed them by Utah, which is a legitimate team. It's like, OK, this team's not not even close right now. They're not in the same league. Right. Um, I mean, just got to get these vets back. Yeah, I think that would be a uh, stabilizing presence for sure. I mean, even Rondo, like Rondo's around, but he's like playing eight minutes a game. I think that like having Rondo back would be like playing 20 minutes a game would be huge for Trey. So Trey's not playing like 35 minutes a night, like back him off a little bit. Let him get a little rest. Yeah. Let him see Rondo work, run the offense. So got to be patient, Junior. It's still very, very early. I'll do my best. Yep, you're right. You're right. All right, folks, that wraps us up for this week, and we'll see you all next week for a new episode of Atlanta Zone. Hopefully we'll have some more big news for you on the Falcons, or maybe even we'll talk some Braves for the first time in a few weeks. I know Marcelo Zuna market potentially could be heating up, so we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Until next time, rise up, stay in brotherhood. Actually, I'm not going to say stay in brotherhood anymore. Brotherhood is dead. Rise up, chop on, mix it up, unite and conquer. (laughs) And remain true to Atlanta. Hospitomacy. Hospitomacy.